What's Our Seat Number? Hello and welcome to What's Our Seat Number. Let's get right into it. We are talking about Superman. 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 Superman who, exactly? (laughs) It's very droll, sir. So before we get into this discussion, I just want to explain why we're talking about two different versions of exactly the same movie. Uh, The reason is because it's not exactly the same movie. Um, And the history behind it, in case anybody doesn't know, or if I didn't explain it very well in the previous episode, is that Superman 1 and Superman 2 were both shot at the same time. And at some point in principal photography, time ran out, budget ran out, and the producers decided to focus on finishing Superman the movie and getting that out. And at the time, they hadn't shot the ending for Superman 1, so they used the ending that they were going to use in Superman 2, which was the reversing time, closed that off, and released it as Superman the movie. And then when it came to Superman 2, the tensions that had been rising on the set between director Richard Donner and producer Pierre Spengler, and the other producers, uh, Ilya and Alexander Salkind, was just at an all-time high. We're an all-time high. And Donner told the Salkins unequivocally, if Pierre Spengler is not fired, Uh, and removed from Superman 2, he is not going to continue working on it. And there are conflicting reports about this, but the long and short of it is that Donna was in in fact let go. And so they brought in Alexander and Elias Elkin's friend Richard Lester, who had directed the Beatles movies Help and A Hard Day's Night. And he'd also directed uh, The Three and the Four Musketeers in the mid-70s for, uh, for the Sulkins. And he'd been acting as a go-between anyway, so they brought him in to, uh, to finish off Superman 2. Donna had shot about 80% of Superman 2 by this point, and in order for Richard Lester to get, to get a director's credit, he had to reshoot a lot of scenes so that he could um, claim over 50% of the footage and get a director's credit. So that is the long and short of the story. And in 2006, Warner Brothers gave Richard Donner the chance to complete Superman 2 in the in his vision using the, uh, the footage that was ultimately left on the cutting room floor of uh, Richard Lester's version. It's my preferred version. I think that the jokey tone of Superman 2, the theatrical cut, is, uh, is very much at odds with what Donna was trying to do. And something else here that's uh, important to mention is that Marlon Brando does not feature in the theatrical cut of Superman 2. Uh, I believe that the decision to split the two movies up uh, happened during production, and if I remember correctly, that Marlon Brando's contract stated that he was, uh, he was shooting material for one movie only. So in order for them to use it in the second movie, they would have had to pay him out quite a lot of money and the Sulkins didn't want to do that. So in the end, we got Susanna York, who played Lara, uh, Kal-El's mother in, uh, in the beginning of Superman the movie, but it doesn't have quite the same impact. And those scenes restored in the Richard Donner cut uh, with Marlon Brando are some of the best of the series. So we are going to continue our discussion. I wanted to uh, move on to the Superman 2 theatrical version. The reshot opening of Superman 2, the Richard Lester version, first of all has the that kind of very sort of theatrical opening with, with Non going and breaking the, the Kryptonian guard's neck and uh, and then that you've got the three Kryptonians doing something that you're not yeah. actually sure what they're doing. What, they're, what, what are they up to? Yeah, what are, what they, are they, doing? they up to? And then they've got that sort of comical kind of looking around thing when they realize that they've been caught. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that just... Wouldn't that always happen? I don't know. Like, I mean, is that is, did they not expect something like that to happen? And then the three hula hoops come down, or <laughs> well, the two hula hoops come down. Here's the thing, right? About those hula hoops, right? 
in the first movie, you accept it because, because they're... Because of Marlon Brando's performance. Well, it's not just... And Terrence Stamp's performance. It just, it just feels like how everything else is black. Yeah. And, you know, the heads are above them and he's holding this, this cane with the crystal in it. It's kind of like, uh, oh, this is alien, this is sci-fi. Right. And just the way it was presented in the rest of it, like he didn't get the sci-fi and it was like... Yeah, weird. it also kind of accentuates the uh, the Buck Rogers uniforms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those awful black vinyl, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, skin tight leotards yeah. or whatever they are. Um, or they, they they look like they're about to go clubbing in the seventies, and like you know, like John Travolta coming along, going, <laughs> "Hey, how you doing? Let's go have a dance off." Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't fuck with me. I know this shit. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Kryptonians. I just want to talk to you, okay? Um, <laughs> want to be a friend? Say hi to your mother for me, okay? <laughs> Oh. oh shit oh shit it's mark Wahlberg. hide run um, run so yeah tell me what you think of the original um richard donner opening of superman the movie with marlon brando and the original uh the the original stuart baird editing of that because there is a difference in yeah, the donner there is cut a difference. and the the way that it contrasts with lester's reshot version the, I, i'll tell you before you before you start the history here is that brando shot for about 10 to 12 days i think mm. on, the, on the whole thing including all of the the shots on black velvet and blue screen and all that stuff so that he could uh, appear as a floating head in the fortress of solitude um he started making all of these weird suggestions that i'll also get to later on um but he i'm so happy he made about fourteen million dollars or something like that for his uh, for his screen time, and Brando wanted another payout to appear again in Superman two, and the Sulkins were too cheap to to pay him out. Um, and and I understand that it would have been uh, probably a bit of a knock to the budget, quite a bit of yeah. a knock to the budget. He wanted something in the in the millions, but at the same time, it's also a, a knock to the quality of the movie because suddenly you don't have Jor-El there, yeah. and now you've got the floating heads yeah. um, who have been, also been reshot. And then you've got Terrence Stamp. Uh, the floating heads are in the first movie as well. But I think they were reshot. They look worse. You're saying? No, you're not saying worse, that? but the you know the performances are not the same as they okay. were before. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Terrence Stamp yelling yelling at Jor El, who doesn't appear. This council has no hesitation in proclaiming you all guilty. 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 So I don't think I've ever properly appreciated Marlon Brando's acting in the whole opening section, right? The trial is such a great opening and it definitely introduces you know, this sort of stoic, no-nonsense kind of guy. Right. Very logical. General Zod, once trusted by this council, charged with maintaining the defense of the planet Krypton itself, chief architect of this intended revolution and author of this insidious plot to establish a new order amongst us, with himself as absolute ruler. You have heard the evidence. The decision of the council will now be heard. Guilty. 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 And then that's reinforced with what he says to the council afterwards. You know, you, ne- you know me to be neither impulsive nor rash. Mm-hmm. But when he has to say goodbye to Kal-El right before 
you know, Lara rests her head on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks almost like he's about to break down. It's very, very subtle, right. but it's a very emotional performance. So I don't think he was phoning it in at all. I think that he, he was, wasn't phoning it in. He was I... definitely. Uh, the, the, I love that trial. I love how crazy um, Terence Stamp is. I offer you a chance for greatness, Jarrell. Take it. Join us. You will bow down before me, Jorel. I swear it. No matter that it takes an eternity, you will bow down before me. Both you, and then one day, your ass. I mentioned uh, before Stuart Baird. Mm. Um, Stuart Baird, for anybody that doesn't know, is a is an editor and uh, and director, and he. He worked with Donna a few times, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also edited Casino Royale. Oh. Um, he directed Executive Decision, U.S. Marshals, and uh, Star Trek Nemesis. But we're giving him a pass for that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's he knows what he's doing, and uh, the way that he cuts together that trial sequence, especially like cutting to Terrence Stamp's eyes, yeah, Terrence Stamp's and his mouth. mouth. There's there's a it's very it's very strong. It's intense. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a recut uh, of that sequence in the uh, in the beginning of the Richard Donner cut that just doesn't have the same energy. So I just wanted yeah. to sort of mention Stuart Baird here and like just appreciate uh, how much of an influence editing he must have had on no, just uh, editing on in general, editing in general, but also like yeah, and and, the, and and how an alternate cut or a different editor can completely change the yeah. the feeling of a scene. Uh, yeah, so I, I I love that sequence. I I think that um, the uh, Brando is channeling his uh, his best sort of RSC yeah. kind of performance, um, and I think that he he sells it. He, it I mean that the Salkins' idea of hiring him and Hackman was to bring legitimacy to something yeah. that could be considered camp, and they and he does. It's true he does lend weight, especially to that opening sequence. Uh, and then they they reshot it for two and completely omitted him, and and it suffers for it. I think absolutely, and also the 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 way that they present you know the the charges for yeah. you know ursa non zod mm. is it, it it's different it's different text yeah it's uh it's spoken in a different way mm-hmm. uh, you know it's it's it loses a lot of the weight and the gravitas from yeah, Brando's performance. Yeah. yeah, and also the the alternate take of uh, of of Terence Stamp in the theatrical version as well is that he you just sort of hear him echoing in the distance, going, "But you and then one day you're and and you know, and then the in the theatrical cut, it's it's ma- he's made Both a point you of it. At one day, you're It's made very clear that at some point he's going to come after Clark. Um, Kalel. Kalel. <laughs> My little Kalel. My little Kalel. The planet Krypton. Oh, if he'd have been played by Max von Sydow, that, that would have been brilliant. Little clickety clack. <laughs> clickety clack of little spider feet. Um. <laughs> no footsteps up the stairs. No hovercraft out the window. And no clickety click of little spiders. Do you know why I can't hear any of those things, Danny? Because right now, the precogs can't see a thing. That's the first strike against the theatrical cut. The the lack of Marlon Brando. The second one, okay, so I sort of got the feeling from a lot of people that are that I've spoken to online, people that I've uh, that I've asked that there is a lot of nostalgia 
uh, towards the theatrical cut, the Richard Lester cut of Superman two. And I also I, t- I spoke about it in the in the in the context uh, portion. Like I, yeah, the I do have a certain amount of nostalgia. Once the Donna cut came to fruition came to being once i saw the those scenes that that were mm-hmm. left on the cutting room floor just out of vanity yeah. and uh, and pride and cost cutting and whatever else was going on there it made it feel like a patchwork suddenly i was able to tell the um the difference very quickly between the lester the lester footage and the donna footage yeah um and i'll i'll, I'll give you a, a quick rundown of of what what you can if you if you're gonna if you're gonna watch it like this is this is what you can this is how you can tell which is which first of all anything with mr vibrant colors (laughs) no so yeah okay so talk about the cinematography jeffrey unsworth cinematography jeffrey unsworth died between the first block of principal photography and richard lester's uh, shoot Mm -hmm. so um so the hazy blooming highlights all of that sort of soft focus uh cinematography is gone (laughs) No, it's like the 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 Lester no, just doesn't have that. I'm saying that they they replaced it with nonsense. Right, right. It it looks it looks different. It just looks very. It looks kind of very very vibrant. Like just right. everything's very saturated. Right. And it bugged me. What the Lester footage? Yeah. Right. Um. So there's that. There's also you can see that Margot Kidder's face is now almost skeletal she's very gaunt in the lester footage you can tell the difference between uh when she was shooting in 77 and when she was shooting in 1979 i want to say mm. or, or 80 or whenever it was that they were shooting that portion um she was as i said before she was going through a divorce and she was drinking heavily and smoking heavily and and uh and she'd gotten uh much skinnier she looks very different she still pronounces her m's as v's so, uh, so you know, when she says, "Can you read my mind?" Mm. Like she like kind of rests her teeth on her top lip, and like you know, like the, there's a there's a scene where it gets in Superman four just after the you know what I was talking about with the flying sequence, um, where she comes to and she remember like she she's forgotten what just happened. She yeah. said, "Why am I standing out here freezing my butt off?" Like all of that is like uh, is with the teeth. Um, so it got worse as time went on. Uh, Lois, it's time to go. We'll be late. What am I doing out here freezing my butt off? But yeah, <laughs> can you read my mind? Now you won't be able to to ignore that. You'll notice it every time you see it. Jesus. Yeah. Why have I come here today? <laughs> right. Ruining it. Ruined. So there's that. Any scene that involves... So you can see when, when uh, Margot Kidder is looking a little bit younger, a little fuller in the lips. That's when, that's when she was shooting with Donna. Um, you can see any footage that contains Gene Hackman or Ned Beatty or um or um valerie uh, perrine as uh, miss tasmacher all of that was the donna section mm-hmm. gene hackman didn't come back for the reshoot so they used a body double on certain scenes and miss tasmacher kind of disappears from the movie yeah. halfway through anything with uh, with jor-el in it obviously the marlon brando footage in the in the donna cut is uh, is present and correct um there's also um, you can see a difference in uh, in Christopher Reeve's phys- physique. Um, I, I, he didn't get um, fat or anything, but mm. you can see that his face is wider. Mm. Like the cheekbones are more defined. Um, you can see that he looks different in uh, in both uh, in both versions. So 
now that you've got all that information, I've just ruined the theatrical cut of Superman 2 for you. Um, because people talk about the Donner cut. I don't as, watch the theatrical cut anymore. Right. I don't need to. People sometimes critique the Richard Donner cut by saying it's incomplete. Well, by its very definition, it's incomplete. It's an mm-hmm. incomplete movie. It's, it is basically put together with um, all of the footage that, that was left over that Donner shot, filled in whatever blanks there were, and there's about 20% missing. Uh, mm-hmm. that wasn't shot um there's the repurposed ending which uh which they shot for superman 2 which contains all of the you know the sort of the rewind stuff that they did with yeah. uh you know you've got um you've got perry white with the toothpaste going backwards and and all that kind of stuff and they shot a scene a sort of an epilogue in the uh, in the daily planet as well um that sort of reflects the, th- the fact that time has been turned back and nobody remembers anything of what yeah. happened before they patched it up with bits of lester's footage here and there they repurposed john williams score it's not a complete movie um but now i also look at the theatrical cut as being an incomplete movie yeah. because that's also a patchwork and they brought in ken thorne to uh, to replace john williams and the score is much tinnier it's less full it's less um it's less inspired i find that both films are a patchwork and a complete missed opportunity and if they hadn't fired donna and there's like conflicting reports about this as well but if they hadn't fired donna and just taken everybody donna and pierre spengler the producer and the selkins had just taken their egos out of the equation and just finished the fucking movie the two movies would have been this sweeping epic arc of brilliance and then they could have fired him after the second one yeah <laughs> done whatever they wanted yeah exactly I, I i have replaced the theatrical cut in my mind and heart with in the your mind and my heart my yeah. mind in your mind can you be my mind it's like sir hunter you persist yeah, okay, as soon as you pointed that out nope can't watch it anymore sir hunter you persist i can't watch the theatrical cut anymore i really like the richard donner cut just because of also how much more subtlety there is mm-hmm. in you know they don't have non going <laughs> and weird sound effects you know and right. there's there's a lot of uh, slapstick that's been taken out of it right um in the fight in metropolis people aren't being like blown over or you know the the ice cream going into the guy's face the which the, gets turned up to 11 in uh, in the opening sequence of superman 3 Okay, I haven't seen three and four in preparation for this podcast right. today. You did. Um, Do you remember the I, three musketeers and the four musketeers? Yeah. So there was a lot of slapstick in those movies as yeah. well. That's basically Lester's style. Yeah. He didn't grow up reading the comics. He had absolutely no um, loyalty to them whatsoever. So he was just basically a, a jobbing director coming in to fill in for somebody who, was, who had been fired. And um, and he's basically using his sensibility to uh, to to basically shoehorn these slapstick sequences into something that didn't need them. Wouldn't you kind of respect the vision of the original director and kind of? The thing is that Donna, when he explains how it came to be and what it is, that you know there was another director brought in who a fellow whose name he forgets on purpose. Um, so obviously there's a feud there going mm-hmm. on. They 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 didn't get along and I, I, because he was brought in during the first block of principal photography to act as a go-between between Donna Selkins. and the producers and the Selkins and specifically Pierre Spengler, who um, who uh, Donna really had this antagonistic relationship with. So yeah, so I think that there's uh, the, that Lester didn't have any kind of loyalty towards Donna mm. and his vision whatsoever. It's professional courtesy, I'd call it. It doesn't have to be loyalty. Well, I mean, I think it should be for the good of the movie, not for, yeah. for, the, for the good of stroking somebody's ego. 
and uh, and the Salkins were in it to make a lot of money. I mean, you saw what happened with Superman three. Yeah, they said, "Oh, let's bring in Richard Pryor." What's that got to do with Superman? Anything. Nothing. But Richard Pryor was making big bucks at the time, Brewster's yeah. Millions, uh, you know, and, and all the, all those like uh, uh, movies that he was doing with Gene Wilder. It's like the Warner Brothers executive saying, "Okay, who do we want for the Riddler? Jim Carrey's hot right now. Let's yeah. bring in Jim Carrey." Yeah. <laughs> you know that's. <laughs> um so yeah i and watching the batman last night with my wife and like you know and and explaining to her what the riddler was before he was the zodiac killer basically (laughs) is like you know she was going this guy's creepy i'm glad i didn't see it in the cinema i would have been scared shitless i'm like yeah he's creepy that's you know but but that's the thing you know like you bring drive uh but yeah you bring in uh you bring in an actor just just because they're popular it doesn't matter if he fits into the universe at all um and they they were they were making the big bucks out of it and then they they quite you know after supergirl bombed basically they sold off the property to golan and globus Mm -hmm. which uh which just goes to show how much they didn't give a shit about the superman brand whatsoever so uh yeah it was all about making money for them which is which is why it turned out like it did. So yeah, the uh, the silly Lester win sequence. Um, there's also a lot of that going on in uh, in the opening sequence, the Paris sequence. There's quite a bit of like with the the terrorists, the comedy terrorists. You got Richard Griffiths in there um, mm-hmm. doing a comedy uh, foreign accent. I do like just in general, like Christopher Reeve lights up everything. Yeah. Um, so he comes in to rescue Lois when she's, you know, she, she goes up in an elevator um, uh, in the Eiffel Tower, and uh, the the elevator starts to fall, and he comes in and he he catches, he catches it, and then he down. says, "I believe this is your floor." I believe this is your floor. Oh, thank God! It's just so perfect, perfect yeah. line delivery, everything. The hydrogen bomb that these terrorists have uh, have planted and threatened to explode on the top of the Eiffel Tower is uh is what releases the 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 kryptonians from the phantom zone in this uh, in this version so i dislike that mainly because i think it should have tied into one and it should have been the missile uh but the which uh, it was the rule was that uh it had to be a certain percentage of footage um for lester to get a directorial credit right um so they so they decided to nix quite a lot of donna's stuff uh, which hurt the movie a lot, I think. Yeah, agreed. I also noticed that the effects weren't as polished. I think that they took a lot of time and uh, an effort, painstakingly creating the effects in the first movie. Yeah, and then in the second one, it's just kind of by the by, um, and it's very janky. Um, Although in the Donica, they were, you know, the Donica. A lot of them were sort of um, rescued and and like the thing where in the fight they. I think Zod punches him mm-hmm. and he spins off into yeah. the um, Statue of Liberty's flame torch thing. Yeah. But it's, it's done it. It it's done good. it's done after the fact as well. There's a lot of like bad CGI in there as well. We'll we'll, we'll get to the Donica in full in a minute, but um uh there were there were quite a few things that uh that really bothered me uh in in the theatrical cut of two right. um the Go random the random powers that have no basis in the continuity for example pointing and lifting someone into the air which zod does um mm-hmm. oh yeah with his yeah with his, with his white, finger white beam coming white out beam. of his um finger. that that's never made an appearance before Ever. or since 
um, the uh, plastic cellophane S that he pulls off his chest and what in the name do you have anything in that massive wad of paper of yours that explains that no it's a I think family guy kind of uh, kind of uh, yeah yeah where he throws it at him and he's like oh what he's like oh I was just you know, just yeah, a minor yeah, that, inconvenience that showed that showed you yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you you really showed me yeah yeah take that <laughs> <laughs> yeah in superman 2 what is the story with that cellophane s that superman rips off his chest and throws at the bad guy prepare to be destroyed superman what was that yeah take that you jerk that was a minor inconvenience yeah well that's the idea slowed you down i'll say Ow. Didn't see that coming, did you? No. Yeah, well, you know, take that. So, and the the, te- the whole teleportation thing. Now, I don't understand... What teleportation thing? The whole thing that he, uh, that oh, he sort of... The little yeah. game... I used to play this game as a kid. Yeah, so I don't understand how he used to play it as a kid. Is he talking about on Krypton? Because he was a baby on Krypton. Um, it, it kind of... It, the way that he says it, it kind of suggests that, Lester... that he played it... In, in Kryptonian school with his Kryptonian friends yeah, or something. Exactly. Um, and it just shows how Lester does not understand the Or maybe material. I misunderstood it and like he, he he used to play it with his human friends in, in, in school and they didn't know what was going on because they didn't know that he was super. But anyway. I um, hardly think that they thought that far out. Like, you know, yeah. they tried to make it make sense. There's... <laughs> also how, you know, um, Lois is, is very dumb in that. But Superman, I knew you'd... Huh? I used to play this game at school. I never was very good at it. Superman, I knew that you'd... Huh? Yeah, that was really quite bad. (laughs) Something that I had forgotten that uh, that maybe I'd kind of blocked it out, but Sheriff J.W. Pepper appears. Mm -hmm. Um, Clifton James basically reprising his role from uh, Live and Let Die and uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. (laughs) Same guy. I know you! You're that secret agent! That English secret agent from England! Oh, no. Now, I know you! Oh no! You're that secret agent, that English secret agent from England. Yeah. So he. Um, oh no! So he just appears um, in the middle of this whole thing when uh, when the three Kryptonians start terrorizing a small town, and uh, it's just it's as if they were you know they they were like okay. Here's, here's what we're going to do, Lester. Let's shoot it like an episode of uh, Little House on the Prairie and have Timmy fall down the well <laughs> or Lassie or whatever, you know. Like, it's just it's just so cheesy and awful and it really doesn't, it doesn't work. Like, you see it in, um, in, the, in the Donner Cut as well because they yeah. had nothing else to plug yeah, that yeah. hole and it just contrasts so badly with the rest of it. So this is the planet Houston. A strange surface. <laughs> we all have them, my dear. Um, to that end, mm. um, Terence Stamp visibly has longer hair and slightly more grey in his beard in the uh, in, in the, the Lester, Lester version. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's also a little bit more in that version. Newell before Zod, mm-hmm. he's a little bit more sinister in the Donner Cut, and yeah, non also with his. Um, just like, sounds like a very confused Scooby Doo, doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> like every time he's what he what he you know tries to what was it that didn't didn't um didn't he have something and then 
like like a like something he wanted to play with, and then Terrence yeah. Stamp breaks it or something happens. I don't know. That he's just like, I don't know. Am I making that up? It you just be, watched the movie. It might be a stinger missile or something that he uh, yeah. that he snaps into. I don't know. I, no, there's the there's the the uh, the siren light. Right, the, exactly. From uh, from the top of the police car, and he cradles it like a baby. Yeah. Exactly. Unbelievable. That's what um, I was thinking of. Yeah. I haven't actually seen the Lester cut this time. I just watched the Donna cut. Right. The only one of the three Kryptonians that comes out unscathed is Sarah Douglas, uh, who plays Ursa. Um, she's just the same in all of it. But, um, you know, I, I like that she shows a little bit of range, even in the, I think it's also in the Lester version when they're in the Oval Office. That's another mm. way you can tell as well. All the stuff that was shot in the Oval Office is, uh, is Donna's. Yeah. Um, when they're sort of bored and she kind of shows some compassion towards Zod. She's like, you're the master of all you survey. Like, there's, there's something yeah. compassionate about her that shows, like, that there's or a certain amount of... Well, either way, there's a there's a there's a range of emotions that um, that you don't see so much in the Lester cut mm-hmm. of the three of them. They're just evil, mustache twirling villains. The differences between the Niagara Falls sequences in the Lester and Donna cuts, yeah. for example, the kid that gets saved. Like I always remembered that with a very like very fondly. I remember that that save. It's a very good scene, I guess. But the the way that the kid is sort of like playing on the railing on the wrong side of it yeah. has always struck me as dumb as fuck, and it made me want to like. I mean, that's child services right there. Take yeah, the like, kid away. Why are the parents not more like? I would be concerned if my child was doing that on yeah. on on the correct side of the right. of the like. Don't climb up on that. What are you doing? Get down, you crazy. You want to die? Is that <laughs> it? Is that what you want? Hey mom, look. Uh huh. Yeah, honey, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> then the kid falls into the falls. And uh, Superman comes in to, to save the day. And uh, that's how Lois realizes Clark that... Uh, isn't here as usual. Yeah. And, uh, and also the woman going, What a nice man. Of course he's Jewish. Oh. Isn't there like a mother who smacks her kid around the face in that scene? Like, just, did yes. you notice that? Yes, <laughs> that was like, whoa. No, but there's also that bit where he saves the cat in Superman One, and she goes, "Didn't I tell you to stop, stop telling lying. lies?" Yeah. <laughs> You don't see her slap the child. You no, hear you, it. You hear it. Yes. <laughs> I was. I, I noticed that this time as well. I was like watching it, and I had looked away for a second, and then I heard, "Don't tell lies." And I was like, "What?" And I went back, and I was like, "Oh, you don't even see it." But that's like an odd thing to add in at the end, <laughs> right? <laughs> Could you imagine if that was Richard Donner's White Doves? Like, if in every movie <laughs> there's a parent slap. slapping a child around the face. So the Niagara Falls sequence they re- they replaced in the Donner cut. The, uh, the sequence where Lois figures out that Clark is Superman because he falls and he, his hand goes in the fire and she sees that he's completely unscathed. And there's also the scene where uh, she throws herself into the falls and he uh, and he like sort of laser eyes the log to uh, then he tells her to grab it. Lars, grab the log. Yeah. Grab the log. Um, you know that that that's uh, those two sequences are all right for the purpose that they serve. I mean, I prefer what they did with 
In the Donna Cut, she throws cut. herself out the window. It's stronger. Yeah. She throw the, throws herself out the top floor of the Daily Planet. And, yeah, uh, but the, the reason that works so well is because when they have him super speed out of the Daily Planet down to the ground, right. you get to see papers flying everywhere. Right. Which gives that sort of feeling of speed. It's just they, they were able to do more right. with what they did there. And then in the in the, the screen test that they replaced it with in the Donna Cut, where, where she finds out that, uh, that Clark is Superman, is that she's got a gun with blanks and she shoots him. And he says, you do realize that, uh, that if you'd been wrong, Clark Kent, Clark Kent would have been killed. And she goes, what, with a blank? And then he goes, ah, shit. I risk my life instead of yours. Lois, don't, don't be insane. And don't fall down, because you're just going to have to get up again. No, Lois, no, no, don't be crazy now. What? I guess I've known this for the longest time. You realize, of course. If you'd been wrong, Clark Kent would have been killed. Was it blank? Gotcha. The screen test probably would have been refined um, when you, you refined, know, refined. What a nice man! Um, when it got to when it got to actual, you know, shooting it, uh, actual production. But they wanted to sort of show that was the original intent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure which which I prefer of the two of those, to be honest, because um, they're both all right. I mean, the way that um, the way that he's so pissed off in the Lester cut, um, you know, that he kind of like goes, you know, bangs his hand yeah. down and like, you know, and she goes, "I'm sorry." And he goes, yeah. now that you know, I think you should know everything. You are Superman. Oh, Lois, come on, don't be... I'm sorry. No, you don't have anything to be sorry about. I don't know why I did that. Maybe you wanted to. I don't think I did. I like that sequence. It, it plays very nicely, but um, I, I, I would, I'm kind of sad that we will never get to see how Donna would have actually shot that, that whole thing. I mean, I, mean, I I'm fine with how it. Lo- I mean, obviously his hair length. It's a screen test. It's not. It's, it's not polished. It's not polished, but it's definitely the electricity is definitely there, and it works. Right. And. Yeah, it's great. Right. I can see that I can't help talking about the theatrical cut without comparing the scenes. So we'll just do it like this um, (laughs) from here on in. Messy. Yeah, messy. Okay, let's talk about the Fortress of Solitude. In the Leicester cut, first of all, the chamber, the molecule chamber, is this flimsy, plastic-looking... Well, you know what? I'll be fair. Pyrex... (laughs) It's it's this like sort of maybe soda, soda. maybe even epoxy resin or something like that. Why it, are you making guesses about what it's made out of? It I'll tell looks you why. I'll t- no, I'll tell you why. Because when the when the door uh, the door has to come up of, out of the ground in order to close the yes. molecule chamber and it wobbles. Yes, and it just looks very very janky um, or shoddy or shonky. Um, but yeah, it looks it looks pretty bad. And then in the in the Donica it's this it's a chamber made out of crystals and you see like and like behind the crystals the uh the, his face is all distorted underneath it and it, it mm-hmm. just it's just better and he leans his hand against yeah. the inside yeah so in the Leicester cut the crystals that come out are these kind of like sort of blocky glass things and instead of Marlon Brando we get Susanna York now Susanna York played um Lara, Lara. 
who is uh, who is uh, Carlyle's mother. Uh, and while I do appreciate her in the movie because she is part of the opening sequence of one, at the same time, it's nothing compared to the chemistry that yeah. he has with Brando. Mm-hmm. And the uh, and those scenes. And it's are also just... where is he? Yeah, exactly. do they ever explain that? The bald-headed guy who recites a poem is mm. supposed to be Jor-El. I see. Yeah, so he's there, but okay. he's just not Marlon Brando. It just it doesn't make very much sense. He sleeps with Lois very very quickly in the Lester cut, mm-hmm. and I think if I remember correctly from my from this viewing, like he sleeps with her after he makes the decision to uh, to 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 become powerless, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take him very long to decide on that. Yeah. Uh, there's this uh, there's this whole sort of back and forth between Jor-El and and yeah. uh, you know and Kal-El about you know why he shouldn't do it and whatever. Whereas Susanna York kind of just says to him, "I don't think you should do this," and he's like, "But I love her mother." And she goes, oh, okay. "All right then, step into this thing." Your father and I tried to anticipate your every question, Kal-El. This is the one we hoped you would not ask. But I have to, because she's everything I want in life. And she, the one you have chosen, she feels as much for you? Yes. Then if this is what you wish, if you intend to live your life with a mortal, you must live as a mortal. You must become one of them. This crystal chamber has harnessed the rays of the red sun of Krypton. Once exposed to these rays, all your great powers on earth will disappear forever. But consider, once it is done, there is no return. You will become an ordinary man. You will feel like an ordinary man. You can be hurt like an ordinary man. My son, I have tried to anticipate your every question. This was one I'd... I'd hoped you would not ask. My attachment, um, the feelings which I have developed for a certain human being have deeply affected me, Father. You cannot serve humanity by investing your time and emotion in one human being at the expense of the rest. The concepts are mutually exclusive. And if I no longer wish to serve humanity, is this how you repay their gratitude? By abandoning the weak, the defenseless, the needy for, for the sake of your selfish pursuits. Selfish? After all I've done for them? Will there ever come a time when I've served enough? At least they get a chance for happiness. I only ask as much, no more. Yours is a high happiness. The fulfillment of your mission, the inspiration you must have felt you must have felt that happiness within you. My son, surely you cannot deny that feeling. No. I cannot. Any more than I can deny the other, which is stronger in me, Father. So much stronger. Is there no way then, Father? Must I finally be denied the one thing in life which I truly desire? If you will not be, Kalel. If you will live as one of them, love their kind as one of them, then it follows that you must become one of them. 
And then you have these weird like animations of like his his, his like skin coming off, yeah, yeah it's weird. all that stuff. Which contrasts like at the very end when the Kryptonians are outside and he reverses the polarity of the neutron flow, um, and the uh, yeah, and the uh, the molecule chamber is basically protecting him and taking away the Kryptonians' powers on the outside. Skipping to the end, uh, that doesn't happen to them. So that that kind of it's very strange. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, but the but then crucially, he sleeps with her after that, and then in the Donner cut, he sleeps with her while he's still mm-hmm. Superman, which, which makes sense for Superman Returns. Which makes sense for Superman Returns. Um, which again, sort of, sort of gives me that that like kind of incomplete feeling where um, you know the the theatrical cut is incomplete, the Donner cut is incomplete, the offshoot from Superman Returns has to refer to a particular cut, which is a basically the is which is basically to. an extended special feature. Yeah. Um, you know, and then and then you have to have known that that was what happened in order to, yeah. to have the context of Lois giving birth to a super baby yeah. in Superman Returns. So yeah, there's a yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. It's a whole can it's of a mess. It's a mess. Pretty much like this episode. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to cover when I get to properly talking about the the Donner Cut, but um, the we're not even properly talking about the Donner Cut yet. Not yet. The Kiss. Four hour episode. The Kiss. Let's mm. talk about the Kiss. We talked. We I mentioned before that uh, that it was originally supposed to be that he reverses time. Yeah. In the Lester Cut, because Clark doesn't want Lois to live with the uh, the knowledge that he's Superman and not be able to be with him. Because the whole point is, and I don't think it's it's established in the Lester Cut either, um, more than it is in the Donner Cut. Because in the Donner Cut, Jor-El says to him, you cannot put one of them above any mm-hmm. of the others. Um, which means this union is forbidden. You can't have a relationship with any of them. Superman 3 completely undermines that whole, uh, that whole thing because he, uh, he makes Lois forget but it's all right for him to be dating Lana, Lana Lang, Lang in Superman 3, Annette O'Toole, who, by the way, is a fox, but that's not reason enough, I don't think, to sort of break that kind of, uh, that kind of oath. So in the Lester cut, the, uh, the solution is that he gives her a kiss and she forgets everything. Uh, she forgets that he's Superman. And um, it's, it's very much a deus ex machina because uh, it's not established in that any way that. that he can do that. <laughs> Um, and also, uh, Tom Mankiewicz, when they were cutting together the, Don- the Donner cut, he didn't want to use the, uh, the kiss, which is why they mm-hmm. went with the reversing time ending. He didn't want to use the kiss because he said, Clark should never kiss Lois, only Superman should kiss Lois. The ending for Superman 2 was always turning the world back and turning time backwards. And then at a certain point in Superman 1, they decided to put the most spectacular beat in both films into the end of Superman 1. and. Dick said, okay, when we come back to finish Superman 2, we'll just figure out what we're going to do. It was either going to be turning time back or using the Lester magic kiss. And if we use the magic kiss, then we would go back to the White House and Superman would return the flag back to the, the White House and it would end up and it would be a very patriotic and, and a very good ending as well, too. But when Tom saw it, he came up with a very good point and he said, Clark should never kiss Lois. Only Superman should kiss Lois. And the decision was then made to turn the world back, and that allowed us to um, use the end scene in the Daily Planet. And now you have this version. And I'm very proud of what we've put together. I don't. I don't agree quite with get that. that. I think that Clark can kiss. The, part of the thing that really makes the relationship for me is that 
she like okay i i keep bringing it back to smallville because i really feel that they got it right mm. um she starts dating clark before she knows who the blur is which right. is as he's known in metropolis before he takes on the Superman. same in uh, in lois and clark so what well, that she starts dating she clark. starts dating clark before she knows that was right. the whole thing he proposes to her and then she says who's asking clark or superman right so and, the, and i think in uh, in the timeline of uh, superman and lois it's the same thing he proposes he, to her in smallville he proposes to her in smallville but the, he they must um, have been dating before that for him to bring him home to the parents yeah yeah he reveals who he is to her there yeah and then proposes and then proposes it's the same thing so the the idea of of clark dating lois yeah uh, before she finds There's out actually is actually a really uh, cool yeah. thing in superman and lois is that um he's doing an interview with her and she goes away from uh she they take a break and she goes to talk to one of her um you know uh co-workers mm-hmm. and she's like oh he's really cute and she's like oh he's all full of himself whatever and she's like and anyway i'm i think i'm in love with clark right, right. and then he hears he hears that right uh, they completely ditched it in the Snyderverse. She knows from the get-go, who, from the he get-go who he is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, so again, it's, it's, it, you constantly see misinterpretations. Of... I wouldn't say misinterpretations. I'd say that it's, it's different takes, but the, the but core it's idea takes, it's is takes kind that of... are missing the point, right. right? And that's why it's a misinterpretation, because she falls in love with Clark Kent. Right. Because if, she falls, if she's only interested in him because he's Superman... Right. right, then it kind of makes her seem very, very shallow. That is right? all throughout. I mean, Superman one and two. No matter which cut you choose, yeah, um, it's uh, that is the way it is. Though it is, she doesn't fall in love with Clark at all. She falls in love only with Superman. I know, and yeah. that's part of the point that I'm making is that I feel that the drama of Jor-El saying, you know, you cannot put one above the other mm-hmm. is actually one of the main points of contention in Smallville between him. And, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if it's necessarily about Lois, but it's about his, his, his life as Clark Kent. Yeah. You know, he's like saying, you have to abandon that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he's saying, you can't have both. You have a duty here. You are here for a reason. Mm-hmm. You, you have a destiny. And if you cannot meet that destiny, then I'm not bothering with you. Right. And, you know, w- the, I think that there are, th- there are themes there that were missed in certain interpretations or adaptations right. of Superman that Donna got, right? right? He understood it. Um, I don't think that... I, I, I think he did Clark Kent dirty. I think that he misinterpreted it. I think that he should have made it so that she started getting interested in Clark in the second movie. And then after she started getting interested in him, because she started looking at him more, then she gets it. So I, I, I'll pass this one back to Donna again, because Donna said in the, uh, in the intro to the DVD of, uh, of the Donna cut, he said that if all of that stuff hadn't happened, we could have had a rich um, mm. sort of series of movies and he would have directed all of them, presumably yeah. like he did with, lethal, the, with the Lethal Weapon series. And there is a consistency and a through line and an emotional, um, uh, emotional payoffs in, uh, in the later movies because you know those characters, etc. Mm-hmm. When I see things like that, and I know what that picture could have been and what Tom and I, I keep saying Tom because he's so good, and what Tom and I could have continued, the continuing saga of Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder would have been quite, quite a series of films. You can see how Donna uh, is an asset to 
more than one film in a series like yeah. he knows how to develop he a can character. set stuff up so uh yeah. so it's very possible that they would have reversed time at the end of two and then in three she would have started to notice clock because maybe that was his plan end game that he wanted her to love him we'll and never not. know we'll never but know no the only reason i went off on that one is is just because of the whole you know Superman is the only one who should be kissing Lois. It's just a complete misunderstanding of the dynamic. But at the same time, I think they just wanted to use that footage because there's quite a bit of footage in the epilogue that uh, that would have been left on the cutting room floor Mm -hmm. if they'd just gone with the kiss. So I want to talk for a second about the ending of Superman 2, the theatrical cut. So first, um, there's a scene halfway through after Clark loses his powers where he gets beaten up in a diner by, uh, Mm -hmm. by a trucker. Um, because uh, the trucker decides he's going to take Clark's seat, and the guy and Clark says to him, uh, "Excuse me, sir. Uh, I believe you're sitting in my seat." Um, and the the guy goes, uh, "You know, like your seat's back there, four eyes, because Clark's just come out of the toilet." Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that seat's taken. It is now, sweetheart. I buy some meat. No, thank you. Uh, excuse me, sir. I think you're sitting in my seat. Your seat's in there, four eyes. Oh, gee, I think perhaps somebody ought to teach you some manners, sir. So he beats him up. And then at the end of the movie, he comes back um, to the diner and he, uh, and he basically basically beats up the, the trucker. Give me another plate of this garbage. Garbage? That's my number one special, Rocky. All right, eh? There's more coffee, too, eh? Gee, that's funny. I've never seen garbage eat garbage before. Excuse me, sir. I think you're sitting in my favorite seat. Well, come and get it for us. And it's played for laughs. I've but been um, working out. Working out. I'm uh, terribly sorry about all the damage, sir. Oh, I've been uh, working out. It doesn't look good on him in either cut. Yeah. Um, he's the Boy Scout. Uh, and then after that, for him to be flying the flag, uh, the roof of the of the White House back, you know, the, I won't let you down again, that whole thing. It's just kind of, it doesn't contrast it very well. Yeah. The issue that I have with the Donner Cup version of events is that he's turned back time, so the trucker wouldn't remember him. Right. So now that scene doesn't play. It's just him. Yeah, Superman just came and he kicked my butt for <laughs> yeah. absolutely no reason. I have no idea why. He's just a bully. Yeah. And then he's like... <laughs> Here's an American flag up your butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't make any sense. Um, anyway. Mr. Smucker! Sorry. Mr. Smucker! Mr. Smucker! Drop page! Warbucks, continue! Superman 2 The Richard Donner Cut was brought about much the same um, manner as the Justice League uh, Snyder Cut. Mm-hmm. Was that there was an overwhelming fan demand to see the version that never was. And to be honest, I think that the results are pretty similar because the Snyder cut of Justice League is miles better than what Joss Whedon put together uh, for the theatrical cut. And the Donner cut shows much more potential of what could have been than the Lester cut. So here we go. Michael Thor is the uh, is the editor that worked on that in 2005, 2006. Um, and I have a few criticisms. I, I understand that like, that there, there were certain constraints. Warner Brothers unearthed all the negative and they had to go through it and they had to clean it up and they had to, uh, yeah. they had to find everything, all of the audio elements as well, and then scan it and, uh, and then they edited it on, uh, on an Avid. 
um, which is not how they would have edited it back in the day. Obviously, they would have edited it on a spool to spool, you know, physical cuts, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et um, so there are certain methods and techniques that were definitely influenced by the modern technology of the yeah. time. And I know I'm saying modern because 2006. This is now quite a few years ago. Um, is it? Oh, yeah. Well, yesterday. Yeah, 17 years ago. Fuck me. Fuck me indeed. Yeah, there are things that um, that probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have been done. And you, you imagine like a film on film cross-dissolve. Uh, there's a very different look to it than a, uh, than a Premiere Pro or an Avid if you know transition effect cross yeah. dissolve um so it, it's the the kinds of things that as an editor sort of raised a red flag red flag to me watching it this time around but they had major budget constraints because warner brothers said to them we're not sure if this is going to sell um but uh here you go have at it this is your budget and that was it right so and, and you can see in the behind the scenes footage as well that uh, don is sitting in um uh, in the edit suite, um, giving direction to Michael Thor, and uh, and he said, "Why why didn't you do it like this?" And Michael Thor said, "Well, we do have budgetary constraints." Nowadays, we'd use computer graphics and to take even out. that all out, huh? Why didn't you do it? <laughs> we do have a budget. Yeah? We do have a budget that we try to stick with. Oh, why? Yeah, I know. Trying to end your career? It's really cool. If you can find that uh, that behind the scenes uh, documentary about the uh, about the Richard Donner cut, there's a lot of kind of almost there's there's like the the usual black back slapping, um, you know, the sort of self congratulatory kind of this is great and everybody's great and everybody's you we're know, all a big happy family. Yeah, we're all a big happy family. But there's also like some real fly on the wall stuff in the edit suite that's kind of unfiltered. Oh, I like this. I like it too. What did you take all this out? Jeez, Michael. Look at that. Oh. The bad effects. That's no, we would, we, would, we, would, we would have. Oh, put that back in. <laughs> boy, Dick, oh boy. boy. Michael, what Dick, must you have been thinking? I was boy, very, oh boy. I was you very, drink a lot during I the was, day? You can see exactly how, um, how miserable Donna was about the fact that Lester took over from him yeah. and, uh, and how much it still hurts him. When we did find the footage and it took months and months and months. Dick came over and saw all the scenes. Um, He also didn't want to deal too much with the luster scenes that needed to be left in to make a complete story. But I realized after a while that he had been familiar with those scenes and they hurt him, I think. Uh, that, That was always a sore spot. First off, I want to talk about the overlong recap. So, oh my god, it was eight minutes long. So here's the thing: in the theatrical cut, there's a montage. Yeah. Okay. I like the montage. I do, and I've shown it to my kids a few times because it's the only way at this point that I'm going to show them anything Superman-y. Mm. But they get to see all those scenes cut together, um, and uh, with the theme. You can show them uh, him flying around saving people. Yeah, but the but the movie itself, they're not ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there are certain things that are like the, the you know the all the bodies falling in the Krypton sequence at the yeah, beginning and yeah, like you yeah, know yeah. There, there are certain things that are a little bit too strong I think so but anyway I like the um, I like the the title sequence uh, in the theatrical cut there there is a moment where you hear this sort of unnatural unnatural for somebody who's listened to the John Williams opening titles 
track many many times that there's like an extra little bit that ken thorne added on there in order to lengthen that sequence you don't need to see mm. the entire movie yeah so it's a very long sequence now when it comes to the donner cup they could have gone straight from the uh from the kryptonians being imprisoned in the phantom zone to uh the push of the button the missile being fired yeah um gene hackman uh you know chuckling um, and then, uh, you know, and then him, you know, flying into, you know, to save it, you know, it, it, you could have like a, a quote of, like, you know, like a soundbite of Hackman going, it's two missiles, Superman. I've seen, One going to, you know, I've seen more efficient previously. Right, <laughs> right. It, it could have been, it could have been a lot more precise. Uh, is and it a lot, six or eight minutes? I can't remember. I remember I looking know. at my phone and going, oh my God, this is, this is already six minutes in. Right. But it wasn't done yet. Right. You don't need to see all of that. You don't need to see uh, Miss Tessmacher. Miss Tessmacher! You don't need to see Miss Tessmacher saving Superman. You don't need to see him, you know, you don't see any of that stuff. All you need to see is him going after the missile. You establish why the missile has been fired, what it is and who he's saving. And then missile going up into space, Phantom Zone explodes. The Kryptonians come out. Free! You know, and then the dun 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 Dun, 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 dun. I'm getting shivers. I can't. It's too yeah. much. It's yeah, yeah. too much for me. It's that. It's that sound. That as it goes okay, by so and the music. I cannot. There, there is that. I think that, that that's a little bit shoddy. The uh, the editing on that uh, on that recap, and also uh, the Krypton sequence. The Krypton sequence could have just been reused, copy pasted. You know exactly as it was because um, the alternate takes that uh, that Thaw, that Thor used. Um, and he talks about this as well that he it was exciting for him to use alternate takes of like yeah but it it, it dampens the the intent it dampens yeah. the there was the, a the reason impact. that those takes were chosen right is because they are the best ones right so use them I did have access to Superman one and we all thought it would be kind of cool to show scenes from a different angle um, it's the same scene the same line readings but. Um, showing things from a different perspective, like when uh, Zod is screaming at Brando as he's walking away um, in Superman 1, um, all those lines were played off of his eyes or his mouth, and this time um, you can see fuller shots of Zod screaming. You will bow down before me! Both you, and then one day, your ass! There's the uh, the awful star field in compositing. They really could have just used elements of, um, you know, the, the old star field. Why did they need to recreate the star field in, in CGI where it's got like that horrible kind of PowerPointy look to it? Oh, oh, yeah. Um, so I'm sure mm -hmm. that they had the elements of the star field that were used in the original uh, in the original uh, miniature photography that the, you know with the with the suns and the, the and the liquid that, uh, so, that looks like nebulous. So I have and to stuff like that. I have to say that I've written about this in, yeah. in the VFX thing, but like I haven't gone into a lot of detail about the Richard Donner cut. Right. Um, I'll I'll say it then, but like mm -hmm. it's it's yeah. Okay. Just uh, I I have I have thoughts. There's also um, the a lot of 2006 After Effects work in uh, in in that sequence with uh, they they sort of like go into the Phantom Zone and they see their distorted faces and then they come out and they see like there's a texture on the on the glass of the mm -hmm. Phantom Zone that doesn't need to be there that kind of makes it look look like it's uh, 
a CRT television screen. There's also um, the uh, there's also texture later on on Jor-El that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Um, you know, all of that stuff that they wanted to make it look more modern. Well, I thought that they were trying to seamlessly blend it into 1978, 980. Uh, you know, like no, they weren't. They were. Yeah, they were trying to give it a sort of new coat of paint. Right, well. and it's it, just it not, not necessary. It, it brings me back to to George Lucas tinkering with the yeah, with, exactly. the, with the original trilogy of Star exactly. Wars. And there's also a there's a wobbly keyframe. Where in the title sequence, it's either Jackie Cooper or Ned ba- or Ned Beatty, mm. um, where it goes, it comes in, and then uh, and then it like it kind of straightens it itself up, and it goes. Oh, yeah. I'll show you that one That's as well. a shame. Yeah. Um, so I noticed that. That's nitpicking. That's really nitpicking, ladies and gentlemen. I think <sighs> I was just not watching it with that kind of scrutiny. Like when, you know, when we, I guess I wasn't doing my job properly when we were sitting, no, but- when we were sitting watching um, some, some of the movies that we've done on this podcast, I sit there and my eyes are like peeled and like I'm yeah. watching for every, the small, one misstep and I will write it down. Right. Right. And I was just like, I was just enjoying it. I don't know. Like, I was just, like, watching it for fun. I should have been writing more about it. There, there is a lot to say about the effect. I wrote more about the first movie than I did the second movie. Right. All right, continue. The reason why I'm scrutinizing it like this is because it's kind of a fan edit. The fact that it was edited on an Avid and not on, uh, you know, like, it wasn't, like, cut physically on film. And, um, and it's basically... It's kind of... It made me think, if I was an editor... If I was an editor, I am an editor. But if I was editing, if I was re-editing the Donica, if I was given all of that footage, digitized, logged, all of the sound elements, all of the, all of everything, all of the the, the composite elements, all of the 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 assets, as it were, um, if I was given all that, how would I go about doing this? And uh, because I was able to look at Michael Thor as like somebody kind of like me in that sense. I was mm-hmm. I was able to put myself in his shoes and go. Why did he make that decision? Why did that? So that that's, but that's why I'm your looking profession. At it. That's what you do. Like no, but you... normally I I wouldn't. But because I know that it was re-edited a couple of decades afterwards, it kind of uh, kind of made me rethink it. What was it? Twenty six years. Um, so it kind of it kind of made me think about it in, in in sort of a more literal sense. I was really looking at the editing. Okay. And the way things are placed as well. Yeah. There's also to that end. There's also quite a few missing sound effects. Did you notice? Missing sound effects. Yeah. For example, when she, f- when uh, Ursa, played by Sarah Douglas, flies down onto the moon, there's no whooshing effect. Which oh, you're right. I did notice be. that. No, you're right. I thought that... They- <laughs> oh, it's... Okay, so I noticed that, but I was going... Oh, cool. There's no sound in space. Because and then afterwards they're talking. They're talking, they're, but then also when... Uh, there are wishes when there they are fly wishes by. when they fly by. And, you know, it's just inconsistent. I guess that... Also- okay, so I have full disclosure... I was not on on top of things when I was watching it's the Richard Donica. Um, the there's also like she's uh, she's lasering the um, the snake. Mm-hmm. Also, that sound effect is missing. Oh, um, there's quite a few, quite a few, uh, quite a few things in the. Um, I have powers beyond reason here. We all You'll have them, my dear. Uh, yeah, none is more vicious and less comic. Yeah, so they completely cut out that bit with the log. All of his yeah. and and the. The, the chakalaka, what's it called? The siren. Yeah. In cutting out some of Lester's footage, um, the, 
there are pacing issues. Now, I've said it before that this is a, it's a curio, basically. It's an incomplete movie. It's an extended special feature. But if you're watching it through, you'll see that um, that they keep cutting back between um, Clark and Lois in the uh, in Niagara Falls mm-hmm. and then back to Lex and Miss Tessmarker in the Fortress of Solitude or on the way to the Fortress of Solitude mm-hmm. and then immediately back. There's no, there's not a lot, they're very short scenes back and forth. Yeah. And that's because the Lester, the Lester stuff got cut. Um, so that kind of stuff uh, suffers. But then once they get into the Fortress of Solitude and you see Brando for the first time, it's like that, this is why this cut exists. Right. Because Marlon Brando died and they didn't have to pay anybody to, to use his, uh, his likeness anymore. I thought that they, they did. They, that they got, um, they got permission to use They got permission his, from the estate. F- to use his likeness. I think they paid them for it for Probably not Superman the amount he returns, was asking. Yeah. And then on the back of that, they got right for this as well. Right, indeed. There's more background of the three Kryptonians because Jor-El explains to Lex Luthor thinking that he's Kal-El yeah, yeah. Um, about where they come from. So now you know when, uh, when Clark is in the diner later on and he sees um, Zod on, the, uh, on, on TV terrorizing a small town he goes Zod it's like in the Lester cut you're going well how did you know who that is and now you know <laughs> so there you go that never never cut Brando out of a movie that's what the that's basically the the moral of this story there's this whole sequence where jor is trying to dissuade Clark from going powerless, going powerless and 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 living like because he he says to him you cannot give more love and energy to one person than you do to the rest of the world. You have a destiny. This is your your purpose for being here, right? You have all these gifts. You have all this, you know, power. You can't give it all to one person. It's, it's very different in the Lester cut, you know, as you said that Lara says to him, you shouldn't do this. And he goes, I want to. And then she goes, all right. <laughs> um, and in this one, there's... Well, if you want to. <laughs> I mean, if you really want to. I didn't realize you really, really, really wanted it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sounds like an argument with my eldest. It right. really does. He says to me, I want cereal. No, we're going to have dinner in 10 minutes. And that's not what's for dinner. But I really, 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 really want it. Oh, if you put it like that. <laughs> that's kind of how I talk to him. Anyway, so the, the 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 back and forth between him and Jor-El, and there's a bit of an argument, and then yeah. and then Christopher Reeve kind of like you know he lifts up his his finger at him and he goes you know father, I love her. And he's very like you know very yeah, you know, emphatic. Think of that. I beg you, father. I love her. And this is an interesting thing that I've, I don't think has ever been explained, nor do I think it really needs to be. How sentient is Jor-El in yeah. these movies? Because, you know, there, there are times when, when he, he says, so my son, speak. He's waiting for him to speak. He recognizes that he's spoken. Okay, maybe he understands inputs right. and, and all that. But then in the second movie, in the Donner Cut, right, mm-hmm. you've got, him completely unaware that there are intruders in the Fortress of Solitude and that Lex Luthor is talking to him and that he's not his son and, you know, all of that. Okay, so he's not sentient. And then later on, you've got this whole sequence where he's arguing with with his son. And then while he's taking away his powers, mm-hmm. Lois is standing up on the ledge and he looks up at her 
This like, big floating head. This big floating head turns around and looks up at her. And I said the other day, I said something wrong. I said to you, it's terrifying. And I didn't mean that. I meant it's chilling. It kind of sends yeah. a chill up your spine. Yeah, and then she she takes a step back. She takes a step surprise. back, yeah. Um, and it's just so, so very... Um, obviously, Donna is using those moments of sentience mm-hmm. or awareness for very powerful effect like later on mm-hmm. which i'm sure you want to get to uh, but i'll just say it now mm-hmm. uh when clark wants his powers back and you know this head is talking at him and he's trying to communicate with him and he realizes that it's just a pre-recorded message at one point Jorel says look at me kalel Right? right, and it's it's a very emotional kind of moment, <clears throat> and and it's uh, it's really done well. So I don't need to really know how right. the sentience works, but it is used very sparingly. Well, I can hear you. Well, not hear you exactly, but I know everything you're going to say. So yeah, I really like that sequence where he's losing his powers, and 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 Jor-El looks up at Lois. I mm-hmm. think that's really really cool. My son. The angels have the phone box. Yeah, so... <laughs> sorry. You have lost your marbles. You've fallen to pieces. Yes, indeed. Since Preston walked off. So then uh, in the in the Donica, you see that the original plan all along was to have Jor-El um, give of his essence. Yeah. Is, of, of whatever. The rest of his life force. Right. And um, and it's very emotional it's and very, very affecting. It's very beautiful. And, um, and he's lost his father for all time. He's never yeah. going to see him again. And it's um and it's, it's like a harsh the, lesson. It's also the ultimate sacrifice. Um, father becomes the son. Yeah, and all of that, by the way, which oh uh, sorry, no, the son becomes the father, and, and the father, father becomes the son. the son. The Kryptonian prophecy will be at last fulfilled. The son becomes the father. The father becomes the son. All of that in the first movie was completely left on the cutting room floor for, for the Lester cut. So now it which gets its payoff. Right, which gives further credence to what you said about you know, how Donna had a plan. Right. That perhaps if, if he had been allowed to continue, mm-hmm. he would have continued dropping these little you know seeds that then would meet their kind of you know fruition in, in the third movie, you know, where, where suddenly Lois is interested in Clark and you know. Right sees his value right it's very interesting how that works um and the trajectory of it as well because in the lester cut they don't really explain how he gets his powers back no they really he don't. lifts up the crystal and then there he goes that's it mother <laughs> <laughs> and then he picks up the crystal right and then he looks at it very confused like hey and, and is then, kind of mirroring the audience's hmm and then general you care to step outside Oh, that's, that's the next what time he you says, see him. doesn't he? Yeah, that's the next time you, you see him. You ever heard of Freedom of the Press? Yeah. That's in the Donnacat. That's in the Donnacat. It's Donnacat? The Donnacat. Yes. It's, <laughs> le- it's less, um, <laughs> it's much less effective than, yeah. than, uh, than what's in the Lester Cut, to be honest. General, haven't you ever heard of Freedom of the Press? Superman. Would you care to step outside? Superman! Hi, old Johnny here. Just a quick side note. We forgot to make fun of Ursa from the Battle of Metropolis scene when she goes, Superman! Superman! There it is, that's all. Carry on. So there's another scene, another very high-profile scene that was cut from the Lester cut, uh, and that is when Supes destroys the fortress. Yep. Do you want to 
tell me what you gleaned from that. What did you What did you think in the Leicester Cut? In no, the, no. The, it's not in the Leicester Cut. In the it's only in the Donner Cut. Yeah. He destroys the fortress. He destroys the fortress and uh, basically says when? goodbye to Lois. Uh, when he's oh, at the end? Yeah, at the end. They're outside the fortress of Solitude. Yeah, yeah. And he uses his laser vision to destroy the fortress. Which is funny because the fortress exists in uh, in Superman Returns. That's why. That's what I mean when I say it's a yeah, patchwork there's, because there's, a lot there's of... so much inconsistency. I, d- mm. I don't understand the motivation for that, to be honest. Okay. Um, it, it, if if we're if we're to understand, perhaps maybe he did that because it's a symbol of having matured past needing guidance from his father. Like his father has passed on, right. and there's nothing left for him there. And the only thing that that fortress can do now is take away his powers, and he wants to kind of stop that from being the case. And he doesn't want any of the Kryptonian knowledge. Right. to fall into the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. So there are reasons for it, but none of it is telegraphed in any way. That's my, you know, no prize adding my reasoning behind why he would do that. What about you? Um, I like it mainly because he, because of the scene that he has with Lois, um, that he's basically saying goodbye to her. And, you know, the next thing that he does after that is to turn time back. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> The other thing is there's a deleted scene which shows the uh, Kryptonians getting carted off. So they fall through the smoke, but they don't, they're not dead. Um, right. But like, it's not in the Donner Cut, but I don't know where it is. But uh, in any case, they solve that problem by reversing time and having them recaptured into the Phantom Zone during the sort yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, I, I just sequence. like, yeah. Yeah. Falling into the smoke. Ah, no, so, yeah, so he doesn't say, I remember now, he doesn't say goodbye to Lois on, uh, outside the fortress, but he has a conversation with her that uh, that leads to a, another rooftop secret, sequence where she says, your secret's safe with me. Um, but it's not about that. It's the pain of knowing. Like, yeah. he wants to spare her that pain, so he does the, the back-in-time thing. And we talked about in the last episode how uh, I've been working out um, is uh, completely out of place now bully superman yeah bully superman but anyway i think that's basically all i really had to say about the donna cut i covered most of it when we talked about the theatrical cut last episode there's definitely there's definitely a lot missing but i really don't like the lester cut um i used to when i was a kid but once you explained what could have been Mm -hmm. to me before there was a donna cut right i was already out i think Mm mm-hmm and then when the Donner Cut came along, I was like, oh, and then I watched it. And I was like, oh, and right. yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot missing. But for me, it is complete enough that after watching Superman 1 or Superman the movie, I will watch the Donner Cut right. instead of the Lester one. I put a post on uh, Facebook asking for people to tell us what they thought, which they prefer. Um, I think it's clear that you and I both prefer the, uh, the Donner Cut. On the Empire Group, Dominic Miller says, Donna, 100%. Yes, it's effectively incomplete, but I genuinely hate how Superman leaps to giving his powers the moment after sleeping with Lois in the Lester Cut. In Donna, he gives up his powers because Jor-El forces him to choose between them and Lois. And you can understand Clark's anger at being denied both when Lois is the only thing he's ever wanted for himself. Plus, getting his powers back requires an enormous sacrifice in that Clark loses the last piece of Jor-El, whereas he seems to get his powers back no problem in the Lester version. Um... 
so I've written here all great points well made and then we had a bit of a back and forth um, but uh, but yeah I mean basically uh, that back and forth is comprised of things that we you and I have been talking about yeah. but but yeah um, well, well, thank, you, you, for, thank you for writing to us thank you for writing to us um, I, th- I think that you know the the problem with him getting his powers so easily in the, in the Leicester cut is you know the the problem that you find in most sort of problem solving uh once you know you've reached that that hero's lowest point in a movie yeah. how do they get out of it um it didn't require any discipline to attain it mm-hmm. um it's you know the it's if not you didn't earned. give it all you've got i don't, I don't want, want it. it i was doing jeff goldblum so i was doing john Travolta. i know what you were doing <laughs> anyway i it, it, that's the biggest problem is is it's it's almost you know a, a mother who who can't can't stop who who just can't say no Right. To her son. Oh, he's he's upset. Here's a crystal. <laughs> yeah, you know, because there's so much more weight to it. Jarrell's, you yeah. know, you will never see me again. Uh, you have made an an incredibly grave error. I hope yeah. you learn from it. Yeah, he's being scolded. He's being a dad. <laughs> yeah, he's being a dad. Absolutely. Um, my my general feeling about the Donica is it's my preferred version, but it's incomplete. The Leicester cut is also incomplete. Um, and the difference between this whole situation and the whole Justice League situation... Justice League. Yeah, so I like that. that um, is that um, the Snyder completed most of the movie... Und Schneider. Und Schneider. Uh, Schneider completed most of the movie. X-Men First Class. Uh, Schneider... Com- Schneider com- <laughs> no, Und Schweinbauer. Und Schneider. <laughs> Schweinebauern. Und Schneider. <laughs> Dr. Schneider. Um, <laughs> how many more Schneiders are there? Captain Nikolai? I don't know. <laughs> no, so, Please move on. Yeah. So Schneider was able to complete most of the movie before he had a tragedy and before Warner Brothers uh, shamelessly used it as an opportunity to um, to sort of like edge him out and get somebody in who was going to make it a little bit more marvel He came back to the Snyder Cut not long after the Joss Whedon uh, theatrical version was released and he was able to do reshoots with the original actors and he was able to, uh, to uh, access the original elements a lot more easily. So... It's more seamless than than the Donica could ever be with 26 years uh, in the interim, basically. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I'm of the mind that neither version is complete. Um, and it's just all a very big miss of opportunity. It's like a big what if. I agree. But I find it endlessly fascinating. So there you go. Uh, do you want to go over to Trivia Corner? Let's do it. Why am I talking like Let's this? Let's do it like that then. <clears throat> Trivia Corner. Why are you a Dalek? <laughs> okay, let's do it. Again. <laughs> Vakana, Vakana, destroy the corner. Okay, sorry. <laughs> In a 2004 interview, Marco Kidder claimed that Richard Donner showed enough scenes to make his own cut of the film and that the unused footage was somewhere in a vault. A website started a petition for Warner Brothers to allow and sponsor Donner's cut of this movie. The footage was re-edited into Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. Why is that important? Because it was apparently Margot Kidder that, uh, that mm-hmm. suggested this whole thing. Very cool. Uh, yeah, very cool. During one take of the shot in which Lois punches Ursa, uh, Margot Kidder accidentally punched Sarah Douglas and knocked her unconscious. Oh, wow. Yeah. Margot Kidder was very unhappy during filming. Here's uh, why she looks gaunt. She was very unhappy during filming as her marriage to Thomas McGuane was ending. She missed original director Richard Donner and was aware that she was being very well paid to do a very small amount of work. 
1981 interview with Rolling Stone, she recalled that for several weeks I sat around my dressing room, listened to music, read The Great Shark Hunt and Orwell, and a lot of French literature, wrote letters, worked on a screenplay, went through a divorce, and every so often I went on the set and said a line like, oh, Superman, Superman. So that, that's the, 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 there you go. Another, another proof, if I was like putting uh, Lester on trial. Yeah. Another proof of just, like exactly how much he didn't give a shit. And how he didn't get it. Yeah. I think if you get it, you would have given a shit. Right. Like it, it was just a paycheck. Is it Valerie Perrine or Valerie Perrine? Mitch I'll never know. Um, yeah. Anyway, so as we said earlier, her scenes were uh, were cut uh, from, and and they they were never completed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of her was left on the cutting room floor uh, in the Lester cut, and uh, she never completed her, her shoot. So she disappears from the uh, theatrical cut halfway through, uh, and from the Donna cut as well. Yep. Um, and uh, here are the uh, the actors that only worked with uh, with Richard Donner. So this is another way to tell which cut is which. As Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, Ned. Beatty as Otis, Valerie Perrine or Perrine as Eve Tessmacher, and E.G. Marshall as the president. All of the stuff in the uh, Oval Office was Donna. Mm-hmm. Um, director Richard Lester was not sympathetic to the epic look that Richard Donna had given to Superman, saying that he didn't want to do the David Lean thing. Lester decided to scrap most of the Oscar-winning cinematographer Gen- Jeffrey Unsworth's footage and hired director Michael Winner's cinematographer Robert Painter to create a style that would evoke Superman's roots in comic books. Lester, painter, and a camera operator, Freddie Cooper, replace Unsworth gli- Unsworth's gliding camera with horizontal panning and static framing to evoke comic books and comic strips, with static frames crammed with people and objects. Harkening back to the techniques of the early sound era, Lester's films had always been shot with three cameras filming the action simultaneously. Uh, two cameras for close-ups, one for the long shot. Lester's technique added to the friction on set caused by Donna's firing, and Margot Kidder particularly disliked him. They were frustrated about the three-camera setup because they couldn't tell which camera was for their close-up. Right. So they There's didn't a, know the which actors, one to... actors generally tend to, like, really seasoned actors tend to understand what, like if they if if they ask the uh, the cinematographer what focal length they're shooting with, they'll know basically where they're supposed to be in the frame and how much of them fills the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the 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 real pros like really know how to how to hit a mark, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And with three cameras filming, it's more of a free for all. It's less accurate, I guess. Yeah. Um, according to Sarah Douglas and Jack O'Halloran, uh, who played uh, Ursa and Non respectively, they did not get along with Christopher Reeve. Oh, you can see just exactly how much uh, bullshit went on behind the scenes of this movie. Yeah. When Superman shame. saves the boy at Niagara Falls, a woman in the crowd of onlookers can be heard saying, "What a nice man! Of course he's Jewish." Superman's parents, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, were the children of Jewish immigrants. Many fans and scholars have long argued that they created the character in 1938 as a Jewish American response to the Nazi idealization of Friedrich Nietzsche's Ubermensch, a term that can be translated as. Superman. Superman. Superman, like thousands of Jewish refugees who were fleeing from Europe at the time, was an alien from a war-torn place. Also, his story bears no small resemblance to that of Moses, and his original name, Kal-El, contains El, the original name of the chief Canaanite Hebrew deity. The reason why I read this uh, to you now is because um, I wanted to underline the uh, the Jewish origins of Superman because... There's a lot of Jesus... Uh, there's a lot of that going on. Shit. Donna was Jewish... Mm-hmm. Singer's Jewish, Brian mm-hmm. Singer, and um, and 
the I, I think I'm not sure, but Snyder sounds like a Jewish name as well. The, the, you have no no way of I have no no no. That. I can I can confirm. No, that. I mean I can uh, based, based on what you just based said, on what I'm that saying, is not. No, but the thing is that Snyder and and uh, and Singer's interpretations of it are very much Jesus. Mm-hmm. In fact, in both of those interpretations, you've got the uh the sort of the pose the jesus pose with the arms outstretched when they're falling in space which is what's so silly because he should be neither he should be neither jewish nor christian he should be his own thing but whatever Mm -hmm. yeah donna claims okay so here's here's where the uh the the sort of uh the conflicting reports come in uh richard donna claims he was fired from superman 2 because of the pettiness and greed of the salkins and this is pretty much what the public as well as the cast and crew of the movie thinks too but the salkins have a different story they say that they offered richard donna the director seat again for, for for superman 2 but donna made a demand that producer pierre spengler be fired for him to return spengler reportedly fought with donna about going over budget and going over schedule often on the set of superman the movie to the point where donna felt that he could not work with him anymore unfortunately spengler Unfortunately, Spengler was one of the original founders of the project, along with the Salkins. Um, so they did not feel that they could let him go. So instead of acquiescing to Donna, they moved forward without him. So technically, if that's true, that wouldn't be a firing. That would just be a breakdown of negotiations. Whichever one's true, they made a bad decision. Here, here's what I, what I was talking about before, about the, uh, the deleted scene that doesn't even end up in the Donna Cup. Jack O'Halloran, who played Non, revealed that Superman didn't kill Ursa Zod and Non at the end. He told Yahoo Entertainment that director Richard Donner filmed an extra scene that confirmed all three villains survive and were carted off to a terrestrial prison instead of the Phantom Zone. But that scene was cut from both the theatrical version and the Donner cut. He also added that he regrets that some viewers have spent years believing that Superman kills his fellow Kryptonians and took a pointed dig at Man of Steel for further perpetuating that impression. He said, the beauty of Superman and Superman 2 is the fact that Superman wasn't flying around killing villains. He was putting them in jail. There was an American way of law and order about it. That's what's wrong with the movies they did afterwards. They got darker and darker and darker. Those two films still stand up after all these years. So there you go. From, uh, from Non himself. But Superman did not... can't talk. Superman mm-hmm. did not kill the three Kryptonians. There you go. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Well... That was. Do you feel spent? That was epic. Um, just like Superman one and two, we recorded these two episodes back to back, with very little cutout. No, no. Yes. Uh, I well, feel spent. I'm spent. I said last week that uh, that this week was going to be Indiana Jones. It wasn't, and I lied. And I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but the next one will be. Yes. Right. We're doing indie. We're doing indie one and two. Yes, indie one and two, and then three and four. Um, yeah that's gonna be fun yeah so we are um this week was in honor of the 85th uh birthday of superman superman so happy birthday soups and uh thank you for all the years and uh and next week we'll be talking about does he listen to the podcast who superman yeah yeah of course he does really yes he does have his number well he he was here just a minute ago what where superman was here golly Did I did I pick up on your cue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Very, good, very good, very good, very good. He's, he has a big one, or he has nothing. Not us, buddy. Right? Uh, Not us. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, this got off the rails quick, didn't <laughs> completely, it? Completely, completely. Only, only thing left to do is to say bye. bye. What's our seat number? Superman!